it's time to munch, munch, and crunch, and chomp, and and stomp and bite down into another episode of Bitten Peach Podcast, which is where a podcast where two queer Asian experts discuss anything and everything that they determine to be queer and Asian. And you may wonder why, what gives us the right to call ourselves experts on being queer and Asian. And I will note that I was once told by someone at some point that in order to become an expert at anything, you just have to do it for like 10,000 hours. And I can tell you right now, the only things I've ever done for 10,000 hours besides eat, I mean, maybe not eat, maybe eat, sleep and breathe is being queer and Asian because that's a 24 seven situation. So I am an expert and I have another amazing queer Asian expert in the pod today. I'm so excited to have our guest who is a nightlife icon, a DJ extraordinaire, a trailblazer, and also the founder of one of the most radical club nights in London, uh, in, in definite, no, 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 beyond London, in the UK, maybe, you know what, one of the most radical club nights in the world, Pussy mm. Palace, please welcome into your earlobes and beyond, it is Nadine Artois! Hi, thank you for that gorgeous introduction. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I wish there was even more time to go in, but I feel like why waste time introducing you when we can dive into a conversation with each other right here, right now? Okay, so I mean, I want to start right off the bat because there was an announcement, was it yesterday? At the time of the recording, it was yesterday, that Pussy Palace is going to be making a big comeback. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that announcement and maybe even a little bit more of what's to come? Yeah, so um, I had like a really tough time with Pussy Palace probably throughout its whole like existence. Something mm-hmm. that gained a lot of traction very quickly and I did not have the skills or the mental capacity to deal with what I was dealing with and there was a real like lack of boundaries and and um yeah just I really like not understanding like who fully I was I was still coming into into terms of that if you anyone who knows like I guess like the history of Pussy Palace will know that it got queerer and queerer and queerer and that's like it very much like lived alongside uh, uh, parallel to my me getting more confident in my identity mm-hmm. in, like a public sphere and like through a party you know that also people lent on so much probably more than they should have because you know we're the people that were involved myself included we um we're just human and trying to work through our own stuff too like like um not perfect you know dealing with their own traumas unresolved traumas not having space to deal with those traumas you know so absolutely like i was unhappy the whole time and then as a result of that and plus many other things I decided to take a break and then following that I you know had like a mental breakdown like full proper ones I know we joke about that all the time like I had a breakdown but it was like it was it was big (laughs) and um did that coincide with the pandemic or did that start happening before in isolation at December 2019 Mm mm-hmm then was trying to like peel myself back together for the the year that I had had uh-huh. and you know and to be just be real I, if I had if 2020 the pandemic didn't happen it saved my life um, wow. and 
because um, if I'd had to continue with what I'd had to continue with, I wouldn't have survived. No way. Um, the pandemic was a was lockdown was a chance for me to really take stock, and really reflect, and it was really hard. I mean, you know, I nearly died a couple of times in that as well. To be quite honest, but mm-hmm. through like this healing journey and a lot of things that like I had to face. And then I was able to actually have a conversation with myself and reflect and go, hey, actually, these are the things that I was uncomfortable with. And most of that was actually to do with um, the amount of things that we said like yes to, like what our actual like values were. Um, and also like how things are run internally. Like the problem is like when you're a facilitator of something, then you all of a sudden become like parent, especially like with queer people, you mm-hmm. become so many. But like... Yeah actually looking after the facilitators like they need like a lot of care to be able to do the work that they're doing and there wasn't really an infrastructure within Pussy Palace to be able to facilitate facilitate that care for the people that were involved. Also, I didn't know anything about business. I don't know anything. I grew up in the clubs. Like, I didn't go to uni and know about spreadsheets and things like that. Like, oh, spreadsheets. Oh, whew. they are my my lover and my enemy. So I had to like learn all this stuff and I was like, okay, actually I've been given a gift of, I, I know how to challenge things and I know how to push for things and I've got great ideas. So I just need to you know, figure out how to channel that to be able to get the support that, that I need to be mm-hmm. able to you like with Pussy Palace. So, so that's what I did. A slowly, very long, slow road and, um, in, I think uh, it was like a year since my breakdown. So it was December 2020 is when I started to really think about Pussy Palace, like seriously and go, were- okay, like, do I want to come back to it? Because before mm-hmm. I would say the words, I was just like, oh, I hate it. I can't be anything to do with that. I was so triggered. <laughs> and then um, through a lot of advice from people who all over the world who do similar parties, um, people oh. who have parties before, people who um, uh have um been through similar like mental health and um neurological and learning difficulties that I have like speaking to them and how they cope with um having a business or working with or working with people or managing themselves and the work that they do and like actually starting to like reach out and then um I got a support worker and was able to apply for arts council for DYCP and And you got it and then cash to spend the summer to develop Pussy Palace where I can hire I've got hired an ethical business coach a social um uh so um a social oh, justice nice uh, sorry transformational justice um coach and um I'm also like yeah uh, yeah so I'm doing all of the work to make sure that it's a sustainable Play. sustainable that is the word because i've been been in clubs forever right i've seen club parties come and go and they usually like go because of like the person that was doing it got burnt out yeah you know so often that's the case i don't know if i want to do it anymore if i'm completely honest with you but i have the strength to be able to set it up run it for six months and then at the end of that six months i'll see how i feel like maybe i'll hand it over to someone else Maybe I'll... Um... Well, that's the beauty of you figuring out how to create the structures that actually have that sustainability and uh, like things with spreadsheets and stuff because you can teach someone how to read the spreadsheet you've made. But if it's all just in your head, no one can ever help you. Like it really does all fall on your own shoulders. So that's like a good task in learning how to delegate as well of like, yes, I can build all this. But in order for it to run, there's going to need to be other people involved. And if you set up the structure correctly, then someone else could, in theory, take your position. 
that's kind of what I'm trying to do. So it's like a long like road ahead. There's so many things that need to be done, but I'm like supported. I'm cared for. That's, I that's, also, that's like, what you need. Honestly, if I'm honest with you, like Shay, like every single post that I ever did on social media, on Instagram, on a Pussy Palace, I would have the fear every time. And that oh. the other day, it felt so good not to be afraid and be fine with my truth. And I was like, what, you know, did a little bit of risk management. I was like, oh, what if someone says something? Or, you know, I used to be so afraid of like what other people think. And I'm like, yeah. nah. You're in who I am, and so I'm secure in my truth. And at almost 33 years old, I've never experienced actually a real sense of accomplishment until this year. Oh, so, I'm so glad. It's huge for me this 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 thing. Like, and of course, the, all the same problems that happened at Pussy Pass will probably still occur, but I'm going to like be able to handle it in a in a new, different, and more like sustainable and like fair and like way that is not going to like send me under you know yeah yeah where it's not going to like completely uproot the work that you've done you're like okay yeah this is going to push me but i can i can like get back up from it that's yeah, incredible what, what i'm responsible for and what i'm not responsible for because before i used to think i was responsible mm. for everything you know absolutely everything it was all my fault everything was and also it's a mixture of the position i put myself in some people pleasing and also the position that people put me in you know like yeah remember one time like i put out a thing saying like don't come into my dms anymore like talking about like sexual assault and a lot of people actually go back to me saying like no you're supposed you have to take that on and i believe them oh i mean yeah if multiple people told you that i can understand why you'd believe that but that is not that is definitely not your responsibility to field people's past traumas like you've got your own to deal with i think we all need some more therapy i was just thinking about this the other day i was like oh should put that on my to-do list more therapy please when i look back on everything i see so much be- beauty and so much the, the like pussy palace is bigger than me you know like the mm-hmm. I, with it in the grand the issues that i had with it and the and the grand scheme of things are just a small little part of it really the work that has been done and the people who have been impacted from it positively is like beyond but i guess like if the one thing that i want to carry forward in this like new iteration of of pussy palace is things that i thought before but i felt like i couldn't implement and things that i tried to implement mm. that i could but generally like we are projecting too much onto each other and we're punishing ourselves and each other too much and you know we do like live in like a carceral state and because of that it forces us to to want to punish each other Ooh. and I, you know i don't know what's that thing that people say like kill the cop inside your head you know so i'm just trying to like put that rhetoric like throughout like all the work that i do now yeah i love that I realize we've been talking about Pussy Palace and obviously I know, I know what we're talking about and you know what we're talking about, but there might be listeners who have never been or never heard of Pussy Palace. We should probably give them a little quick rundown of what this event, what this night is. So Pussy Palace is a club night. Um, that sends so much more than that, as we've been saying. I mean, like, this is what I'm moving forward to now. It was, like, so much more than that, as in what it did for people. But moving forward, it is just a club night. Like, uh-huh. that, not, it is a club night, and that's it. Then, like, and there might be room to do more things in the future, but I want it to run, like, like a clock as a club night first. And mm-hmm. once, then there's opportunity for more things. Just one thing at a time. So, Pussy yes. Palace is a club night that centers um, queer women 
trans, non-binary, intersex, black, indigenous, and people of color. And like we do that through, I say we, but it's just me right now. So um, um, I do that through, our Pussy Palace does that through um, prioritizing people on the door, um, by giving cheaper tickets to the people who it's for, by mm-hmm. people who are involved, who are organizing the space, or will be organizing the space alongside me. And um, also, and that's the people that we book. So yeah. It really is like in terms of going somewhere, I don't think I've ever been at an event that had more people of color in one space, like mm. in London, in, at least. Mm. Um, and that was so amazing. One thing that I think is so incredible about Pussy Palace, like it's, it's like thought about from the top all the way down to the bottom in terms of like really supporting the marginalized community that it's set to represent is your, uh, safe ride home cab fare fund at the end of the evening where people can like, if, if they feel that they won't be able to get home safely on their journey, like Pussy Palace has money set aside to like get people home, which I think is just like, so thoughtful well i mean like we were there experiencing it you know it's not just like people who are vulnerable i mean we're all vulnerable everyone is in that absolutely uh, um yeah we were just kind of doing that anyway sometimes somebody was a little bit too drunk like or somebody like was upset about something and we were just like or like sometimes we had to remove people but it was just um um but those people it was there you know you're not your like mistakes you know so sometimes mm-hmm helpful for that person for us to get that person even though we kicked them out it was helpful for us to get them cab home so they would be safe and they're safer so and i guess it's sort of just like developed from there and um yeah so it's the it's the venue actually they take the the cloakroom money and then we use that cloakroom money to pay for taxis and then we also ask people to donate and i think it's a really good like oh wow i think it's a really good way of like mutual aid in a way of like collective care which is what i'm trying to push through more with like pussy palace that we are all like responsible for ourselves and it's a responsibility for each other because i used to have this thing called a uh, badge bitches but i'm actually getting rid of that now and badge bitches were like big siblings that like happen that um um, like managed with the buffer between the people who were organizing and the security because as you know like yeah security aren't always the best no but i want to like create this um space where we're all like looking out for each other and you don't have to like come to like a badge bitch to to have your issue that you could deal with those issues like potentially yourself and if something is of of um um more sensitive like nature then we'll have like someone like on site who um would be like there like a de-escalation like officer for mm-hmm. example and can so, kind of uh, mediate a conversation yeah. if necessary so yeah that's like moving forward to collective care and we're all like responsible for each other in this space and trying to look out for each other instead of like looking to other people to sort out our issues yeah it's a collective situation like amazing so you said that you like grew up in the clubs I want to, yeah. I want to hear about that journey. Oh, so, um, yeah, just as soon as I could get to a club about 14, 15, I was there. Wow. Oh my God. I think about myself at 14 or 15 growing up in like the suburbs of California and the club was the furthest thing from my mind. Yeah. So like Glasgow, just like listening to like happy hardcore and like, yeah. used to, and it was a good way for me to make money, like glass collecting, selling drugs like it was it was it was good you know and um it was a way for me to like get out of like my family situation as well so and as soon as I could as soon as I was able to at 17 I left home and the club is what like 
was able to like sustain me i had a little part-time job at h&m as well actually but it was oh, a, yeah. and then yeah and then as soon as i moved out to london like the clubs as well is where um i yeah that's what that was my university that was my school my university uh, business like school my how i learned about this other people like his experiences like I, i've I've been saying for years like there's why can't we a lot of people used to ask me like why i do the work that i do and i'm like well why can't the dance floor be educational like absolutely for, like, academics and uh, academia was so like far away from me even like museums like i didn't even like art until a few years ago because i just didn't think that that was for me mm-hmm. but that's you know you'll relate as well like being asian like our lifestyles are as a part of our art like if i think about the food that gets made or the 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 jewelry that we're adorned with um if you go to like if you go to pakistan for example even like the buses are like embellished like taxis and stuff so we like live and breathe art it's not like somewhere that you just like go to like it's separate and you go to a gallery and it's this like exclusive like thing but yeah, that's just like, I forgot my point there, but I tailed off. But yeah, just. Oh my uh, God. But I was like, I was agreeing with every single part of that. That is such an interesting point to make of like, in the, I don't know if I could generalize it to the entire West, but at least in the UK and also in America, like art and like life are very separated. But you're right. In Asia and many parts of the world, like infrastructures that you look around are made of art they're designed to be beautiful not just functional like i went to japan for the first time in 2019 and everything is beautiful everything is designed and every single train and every museum and this and that has like characters and cartoons that are the representatives of this and like everyone has a logo that's not just like buy this it's like cute and artistic and beautiful and just a completely different approach to like art and life exactly and i think i remembered my point there was that like things felt like really inaccessible like to me like mm. at last like uninstitutionalized like person like living in london but and i so the club was a place where i got to learn all that stuff and that's why i've always said there's no pl- way that the the club the dance floor can't also be an educational space because you see art you learn about people you um you can uh figure out how like social situations like work like absolutely escalate like i learned de-escalation before i even knew that was a word like i learned that just from and being in the clubs and seeing how people react to each other and how they like resolve conflict you know yeah yeah i mean we're all drinking you know but still like which was some really good examples man yeah I mean, I, I had never really thought about it in that specific way, but yeah, I, I mean, I did a degree back in California and then I moved out here, but it was that period of me moving here and going out to queer venues where I really not only figured myself out, but also like figured life out because I learned so much at university about gender and about race and this and that. But it wasn't until I actually like came and had to like start experiencing it that some of that education made sense and I could actually kind of expand on what I learned and teach myself things by being in these more diverse spaces where different communities have to collide in different ways and different identities all come together in these amazing melting pots of our queer, queer nightlife scene here. Exactly. So I, I have a question that I ask in every episode and you've kind of, you may have touched on it already, but I want to ask and you'll know this question. I'm sure you get this question all the time. Uh, it's my favorite question. It is. <clears throat> um, but where are you really from? Um, so what I would usually answer that question is what wasn't you asking? I was like, well, where do you think I'm from? 
Oh, good answer. And then they get all like, uh, 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 and then they like to guess, and then they get, I pretend to be offended by every guess. (gasps) Yeah, good. So, um, but I, I'm Pakistani, um, um, but born and raised in Glasgow. Yeah. Hence, hence the Glaswegian accent, accent, got ass on the mind. Everyone says it's still like really strong, but I've been down here for 15, they were like, every time I meet someone, they're like, oh, did you just move? I'm like, no, I've been here for like 15 years, but... Um, it did used to be a lot stronger actually that's the thing i'm sure if you go back they think that you have this really subtle accent now and that you've picked up all this london and and but here everyone's still like no you sound like you just got off the train basically um yeah that's exactly it (laughs) i run into the same thing of like my intonations and my sentence structure my vocabulary has changed so much yes sentence yes like very and yet and yet I'm sure you and most people still think I sound so Californian. 100%, yeah. <laughs> when you first moved to London, which mm. was, as you said, like 15 years ago, you, you were you were just a teenager, 17. Yeah. 18, 18, 1 and 19. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. I year before I'm on my own before I moved to um, wow. London. Yeah, 18, just, it was a couple months before my 19th birthday, yeah. Okay, the club scene was so different back then. That was like, I feel like that was a peak of of London nightlife at that time. I always hear about these iconic clubs and venues and stuff, all of which are now gone. Yeah. Is that what you dove into? Yeah, like boombox and like yeah. like circus, like yeah. and, and like, you know, all the stuff that was happening in Camden at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I sort of like dipped in and out of all, like Vauxhall, like I dipped in and out of all of it. You know, wherever there was a club, out, I was there. <laughs> wherever there was a scene, out, I was there at some point. And you mentioned earlier that like Pussy Palace's queerness has like amped up kind of alongside your own journey to queerness. I'd love to know like what has happened in the past few years that has kind of, kind well, of I- contributed to that. It just became more comfortable. But and why I wanted Pussy Palace to be like center uh, queer people of queer and black people of color is because um, that wasn't centered in my life. Yeah, I had some like friends, but they were all like I just mm. needed more, and I was just starting to come into myself. I was starting to understand that for the, um, the whole of my life, I was trying to be white middle class, um, um. And yeah, that I was trying to do all of these things, and and I was like, no. And then I was like really angry for a little bit, um, and tried to push that through onto Pussy Palace. But then within that, I just started like, um, I guess like feeling like comfortable, and then accepting, and then I guess like there's a period of denial, like <laughs> like I'd always been like that. Like actually, I've always been proud of my identity. It was like all of this like weird stuff that I had to contend to contend with. Because not only was I working through it myself, I was working through it like publicly as well. And with the, all these like new people that I was um wanting to be around because we shared like I you know intersections, mm-hmm. which is, I don't think is the best way to like make friends. Like either you know you should have like shared values or like shared intersections. So um and um so then. As the stronger and stronger that that got, as, as soon as I started to accept myself for being brown, for being working class, coming from a Muslim background, um, my learning difficulties, my mental health issues. And as soon as all of that started to come, then Pussy Palace, I think, like as an identity also like became stronger and stronger. But then I think that it started to also like decline as well. 
um, as my mental health declined, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it ran parallel with what I was doing for sure and what um, what I was going through. I'm also trying to separate, like you shouldn't, you should, that is not a good advice for any business to, to have it run extrin- intrinsically alongside you. It's, a, it's the end of the day, it's something special, it's something amazing. I can be really passionate about it, but it is a job and you shouldn't be that linked you know that to like emotionally to your job i feel like i need to be taking notes because so much of this is so relatable to me i'm like oh right okay yeah it is a job it's not my entire life jot yep. that down yes i i i'm amazed that like one of the initial impetus for starting pussy palace was that you wanted to be able to surround yourself with more people whose identities kind of lined up with yours as opposed to you already had people that that it, of those identities that were around you and you wanted to create a space where you could all be together it's like it was a mixture of both there were people yeah. in my life but it wasn't enough that people that were wasn't enough so it wasn't enough and i was definitely geared with a lot of anger and was like okay let's make the space you yes know? Like, what is that expression like build the water hole and they will come <laughs> what's that expression like build it and they will come okay right okay so it is just build it yes and you built it and they came that's like, for me, I'd say there's something similar in there. I can really relate to that with the Bitten Peach Collective because I I grew up in California surrounded by Asian people. And then I came here and suddenly I was usually the only Asian person at any queer events that I went to. And even though I would come into contact with other queer Asians and other Asian performers, it was rare that we'd be at the same place at the same time. It would be very much ships passing in the night. And it was, it was a way that I was like, I know all these people exist. I want us to be able to come together and like celebrate ourselves and have an audience that resonates with that. And so in the process of doing that, I didn't even realize though that it would mean that like I would bring people around me that would become so ingrained in my life both professionally and personally because there is so many you know you say you should bond over similar values as opposed to just like similar intersections and I think there's obviously a crossover in that as well because often people with similar intersections do have similar values although that's not always mutually exclusive so for me, it brought all these people to me that I didn't know I needed to be such good friends with. I knew I wanted to make a, a thing where people could perform and celebrate together and have a great time. But I didn't know that like that would spill over into being such a large part of my social life. And it really has like in, invigorated my time here in London so much more to have that that collective, that family sphere around me. Yeah. I'm so glad that, that that you got to have that. I'm, I'm not been to Bit and Peach yet. I'm really dying to go. Well, you're in it right now. You're in the pod. <laughs> but um, luckily, we we have things coming back this year. I think something similar. I mean, not 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 no. But there's maybe one or two similarities. The pandemic, I think, helped. I thought it was really going to hurt us because I thought all the momentum that we had was going to be gone. And when venues would reopen, they wouldn't come to us because we were still new. They would go to the people that they knew the longest. And that could have happened once or twice. But we're very lucky that a lot of the people that we were working with have continued to want to work with us. And I think other venues have, upon coming back, realizing the importance of diverse storytelling 
have seen, oh, this is a collective that represents a unique viewpoint that is not currently on our roster. We should get in touch with them. So new opportunities have come as well. We're doing some exciting shows, which I'm really thrilled about and some kind of exciting events and stuff. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting, I think next year is going to be really interesting. Assuming that touch wood, we don't have another wave of the pandemic or a new pandemic. If things are able to go and continue and the accelerations and allowed to go, I think we could be achieving some really exciting things. But I do really need to take the advice that you were just giving to all our listeners, which is like, you need to remember to have a separation between the two, a work-life balance, because I think that's something I really, really struggle with. You did too, yeah. So we said that you got DYCP, which is the Developing Your Creative Practice Grant from the Arts Council. And I'm so excited to hear that you got it because so many people I know, or or maybe not even personally know, but but know of received this funding. And it's not the people who always get funding from the Arts Council, because it seems to me from as an outsider to that industry, that the same groups and same collectives are always getting more and more money from the Arts Council. And it's typically white people but I've seen so many queer people and queer people of color get funding. And I'm just crossing my fingers. I applied for this last round that I'll get the next one. Well, get that Because I, I honestly, these things I'd heard about it, but I didn't know that, that, that it was, uh, I could have access to that. Like anything mm-hmm. that lightly academic. And I was like, no, that's so scary. And anytime I would look at a form, I'd be like, Oh no. Then I realized that like, because of my disability, I can apply for a support worker. Yeah. And, really like helps everything because i've got all the ideas like i know what to say i can talk forever but actually like writing it down like that's so difficult for me so to get that support work and also it's kind of like they don't really advertise it so if anyone's listening and if you have any learning difficulties or any mental health issues or neurodivergence like and you want to apply you can uh send them an email saying you want what what grant that you want to apply for and um and that you want a support worker and then you can also appoint a support worker so someone that maybe like you know that's like good at writing or have had experience in writing um funding applications and arts council will pay them something like it's really good it's like 200 pound like a, a day and i think you do like three to five days depending on like what you're doing so like you know it's also like good money for like another like like queer who, who like you know is good at doing that stuff like yeah. I mean, it's so cool to be paid to help someone get money. Like, really? Yeah. So- my friend Jen Smethurst, non-binary icon, is a very good application writer. And one of their jobs sometimes is being the access worker, support worker for people applying for these things. And they have a very high success rate. And I'm like, yes, this is what we need. Because the, you're right. The barrier for getting into those applications is very high, not only because it's it's hard to condense all the things that you want to say about your art and your practice and your development into a very small word count, but just the very specific structure of the application and the website that's very confusing. Like it is, it is, I, I've done a few applications for the Arts Council for different things. And I only feel like now, several in, am I kind of getting the hang of, okay, this is the way to present the information that will be understood like you got you got to learn kind of it's not even necessarily the lingo it's not like you have to use big artsy words but you have to learn kind of the way to talk about things right yeah it's it's complicated 
I mean, that is what, honestly, but applying for the uh, the arts, I applied for it, was it end of January? I started at end of January, beginning mm-hmm. of February. Mm-hmm. So that, I said December is when I started to think about Pussy Palace and then I applied for it. But then actually, I didn't do it for Pussy Palace. I did it for me. And then I just p- had a portion of it that I wanted to, to put towards to develop it. But that yes. process where you start to really interrogate like who you are, what your practice is, what you want to do, think long term. Like, I'd never done that before, like, ever. Like, thought about anything in a long time. I was very much, like, live in the moment. Didn't think I was going to live for that long, so didn't care about the future. Like, and now, like, to think that way is so fab. Like, I understand myself better, understand the work that I do better. Because mm-hmm. it asks really hard questions that you really have to think about. And, yeah, it was it was just the application alone was, was a, a difficult but super like helpful pro- pro- um, process for me to figuring out like what it is that I want and what I am actually able to do. It's amazingly fruitful to have to put into words what you do and what you want to do because you can have a conversation with someone and you can go on and on and explain all the things you've done and all the things you want to do and all these ideas. But when you're forced to like, can you do it in 300 words? And you're like, okay, I guess so. Like, and and you have to boil things down to one sentence. Like, Pussy Palace is X, Y, and Z. And like to be able to do that, it's like, oh, actually, yeah, that is what it is. Of course, there's a million more bits to it. But like you said, it is a club night. Like it's, it's, it's a club night with a lot of like amazing, like, I guess like features and like ethos. And I mean, you'll see more of that because what I'm going to do is like, as I'm in the process of still developing it. So, you know, you'll see like, um, uh, like, uh, statements and policies and like things yeah. that I can do and like wait what you know I'll be putting all of that kind of stuff out but yeah there's all of that like infra- not infrastructure but all of that sentiment that goes alongside Pussy Palace but at the end of the day yeah it's it's a club night it's a club night and also like a- event space DJ music you know that's like that is the main components of it really you mentioned that like statements and stuff I forgot one of the things that I think Pussy Palace kind of pioneered in a way in the east in the east london maybe not specifically east london but the london kind of queer nightlife scene is having a like set of safe space rules like policies for the club that i think a lot of spaces adopted similar policies based on you all doing that i mean yeah we definitely i mean we weren't the originators like i got a lot of advice from people who've been doing it for far longer than me and um for years that have been there have been policies and underground like club scenes um um for like a long time if you look into like the history of like underground underground raving it's mm-hmm. it's been for a while um but yeah in this sphere of what you talk about um we definitely people were inspired by us and it was taken worldwide people adopted versions of the policy that we gave permission to or they sent us like one back it was the the policy was like subject to people's dissertations it was really whoa that's really cool and it was cool and i think that the sentiment was amazing but actually how do you put those things into practice oh that's hard you can say all of these things, but how are how are you implementing it? That and there's some things in that original policy which I think is still amazing, and I think I love it. I actually have it hanging up like in my in my in my hallway, yes. like and um um. But I think the question is, and I asked this at the time because you know at the same time we were using other safe space and even like venues like uh, Ectowayo and like Village Underground and stuff like that were just like using them, you know. But it's like, well, what what does safe space what mean? Does it like, mean? 
a lot of queer people, especially queer black and brown people, are not even safe in like their own homes. Like you cannot guarantee safety. It's like no. literally like um, all of the same problems that we're trying to fight against at Pussy Palace are also things that we experience in Pussy Palace. It's not a place where these things are. are... Yeah, it's not a vacuum completely like separate from society. It is still within this world that we live in. It's just hopefully there's a filtration system around it through the policy and through the community that kind of does make it not safe, but safer. I would even use that, like, because we still, as like queer people who are like, look, I, I'm I'm on the front lines of the club and I see what people tweet about and what people show on their Instagram and what people like say. And then I also see how they act in the club when they're, you know, 10 drinks deep. Like, it's we it's so we we are being intentional we want to carry out this way of living but sometimes when we the traumas that we've experienced as like we're black and brown people like and and trans people is that and we're not supported enough like in the daytime that all of our issues sometimes bleed out into the dance floor the one place we actually feel like we can be ourselves you know yeah and that just comes with a lot of like difficulties, like, and I think that, um, yeah, I love the policy still. There still will be like an, the, I mean, we did actually change the policy, um, a little while, like into, um, Pussy Palace. Like, I think it was early 2019 we did it where we said, like, this is what to expect of us and this is what we expect of you. Um, and I'm sort of taking that sentiment and sort of like just developing it a little bit more of like, yeah, all of these things are still gonna are gonna happen. All the things that we're trying to fight against will happen inside the club. But we're trying. I'm I'm in it for the long game. If I look at Pussy Palace started like six, seven, six, seven years ago, people didn't even want to say the word. Like people thought we were so like radical. Yeah. I didn't think it was radical like enough. Like and um and like now a lot of the the ideas that that we that we um put in place are adopted by many even like straight people right even like straight parties like straight people straight parties i've never heard of it i mean the ideas that we have in the club like that's not the ideas that pussy pals have in the club and the people that i've had for years and the people that i've learned from that's not just for queer people that's for everybody like people should all be treating each other like that we should all be like self-aware like that should all be um in practicing collective care with with the people like around them so absolutely and i see i've seen that in a lot and since pussy palace is like success i've seen those some of those things be adopted in many other places mm-hmm. so, um what was my point my point that yes i love the policy but like moving forward i'm looking towards like more like collective care and how we're yeah. looking after each other and that we're gonna be like messy and that's like okay we, and that's okay yeah. I always, whenever I'm hosting a, a cabaret show or something, I really take into account, like, everyone here needs to be enforcing the rules, not, not just the people running the night. So, like, I mean, uh, the, one of the most basic versions of that is like, if someone is talking in, in the middle of someone's performance, it's your responsibility as the person near them to make them be quiet or make them go outside. Like, the, the host should not have to stop. Or a performer should not have to address someone making too much noise in the audience. If you are in that audience, it is your responsibility as the collective audience to deal with that situation. Exactly. So, so one thing that Pussy Palace is like really amazing for is all the themes. There's always a theme. Yes. Is, is that, is that, is that, has that all been cooked up in your little brain? Yes. And now what I'm going to be doing is something. <gasps> 
you do, but like we were always just like it's like the next month, the next month, the next month, and not like really ever yeah. like it's now the themes will be released like every quarter. Oh, um, for the whole quarter, everyone will know what they are for the next three months. But like you know, you've not got four weeks to put together an outfit is not feasible. Like especially if you're doing it on a budget. Like yeah. so, it means you want to go to a certain theme that um you can um you know take time to build your outfit if you want to like again like anyone who's listening that have not been to pussy palace before like the themes are not like mandatory the whole no. point of palace is that you come as you are whatever version of that is that means coming and coming up in your trackies does that mean wearing something that's absolutely um um full regalia that has nothing to do with the theme that's fine in the past about 50 percent of people dressed up and about 50 percent of people didn't so um yeah not- and then like of the people that dressed up not not necessarily did they all dress specific to that theme but they definitely turned a look right you just like interpret it how how you will i remember at one point i know i i was getting really when i was in my frustrations with pussy palace i was just like oh who the fuck like you know whose idea was it to have a theme every month i was like shit it was me <laughs> it was me it was me um are there any i mean you don't have to tell us any that have been decided because they probably haven't been but are there any themes yet that you haven't done that you're excited for or a past theme that you want to revive I do. The, I love kink. Oh, it looks so good. I also really want to revive like diamonds and denim, like a lot. Like, mm. and I want to revive prom because it's so cute. That was the one. That was the one I went to. So fun. It was and so good. So cute. I love prom. And um, yeah, but I mean, I, I'm happy to actually give you the next theme. Like for anyone that's listening, it's Survivor. Ooh. Oh my god, Survivor! <laughs> We're still living through this pandemic, and in September third, when Pussy Palace comes back, it will still will still be surviving but it's like yeah oh my god so like i'm i'm picturing a lot of like rags sexy rags like it's a whatever survivor looks to you like maybe for me if i think of myself as a survivor i think of myself as looking hot as fuck like regardless like um some people might interpret survivor as like the tv show like some Mm -hmm. people interpret survivor um, uh, the Destiny's Child song. I'm a survivor. Like the video, some people might interpret survivor by highlighting like something on themselves that they survived with. Like who knows? True. Oh, that's a great theme. Right. Okay. The, uh, usually I like segue into it, but uh, pff, we, we've we've been going too far down this route, and I need to ask the another question that I always love to ask. Now, can you recall from your developmental period, which obviously we are always constantly developing? But who stands out to you as the first or just most memorable Asian icon from from your developmental period? Okay, so I was just obsessed with any Asian person that was on, like, British TV. Yes. Like, for me, that was probably going to be Connie Huck, who was um, a presenter on um, Blue Peter. Okay, I- that's a kid's show. I know yeah, that. Yeah. So it's just like Blue Peter, it was just like it was a kid's show and like you like made stuff on there. I actually can't even remember really what they did, but I was just obsessed with her and I was like, wow, this is an Asian person like on TV that's not like Bollywood. Of course, like there's loads of Bollywood that I love. There's Karina Kapoor because she was <gasps> and like didn't give a fuck. Like, and yes. I was like in because she got to come, like, I can like wait to be her. Like, I was like, she was so sexy and didn't <gasps> give a f- you know, and I just couldn't wait to grow up to be a slut. Like that's you're crazy. you're the first person on the podcast to bring up Cubby Cushy Cubby Gum besides me because I have brought it up in at least four episodes. 
<laughs> and then of course like Ashwarya Rai like she's so beautiful but then then eventually like you know I got into really got into music and then um there's like a band called Sneaker Pimps which is like a trip hop band and uh there was a Kelly Alley in there um she and she was a singer in the band and she was uh, from Birmingham um and she was like half Indian and that was like amazing to me and there's also like um what's his name shit from um um corner shop which is the name corner shop you know because like so many south asian people own like corner shops is that a band yeah corner shops at brim full of fashion 45 remember that song oh uh, yeah yeah i'm grooving i know it i know it it was like it was a kind of a one-hit wonder but they actually had a great album and the lead singer from that was I forget his name now. Oh my God. It's Tajinder something. Oh, Tajinder Singh, maybe. I don't know. Like, his brother was in the band for a little bit too. And, um, yeah. And also, like, he names a lot of, like, uh, like famous Indian people in the song. Like, and it was just, um, yeah, I was just like, wow, these people, they're not only being, like, just being Asian, because obviously, because they look Asian, you can't hide that, but they are. They're invoking it in their work. They're, like, they're putting it on display. Then who else was it as I got a little bit older was like MIA, of course. I was just Yes. She is actually in the queer Asian Pokedex already. Like, how can you exist and fuse all of these like like way that you grew up like together and be so fucking cool? Like I can't wait to be her. I actually have someone else that's like not Asian, but I just told a lie that I told everybody was that she was Asian. Oh my god, I love that you assigned someone an Asian identity, you are allowed to do that. You, that you are in your well right. Who was it? She wore Bindi all the time and she wore Mendy um, and she dated like her guitarist who was also South Asian as Gwen Stefani. Oh my god, wait, did you tell people that she was Asian? <laughs> oh she's like she's like half Pakistani. I used to tell people that. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. That's so funny. She came to mind when you were talking about like um the band what was the band called corner shop i was yeah. like oh yeah one of the people in no doubt was was yeah. asian dated him for a little bit and adopted like his culture basically so and i just was like refused to believe that she was white i was like she has to be like why would a white person want to adopt the culture i was so ashamed of it so i was like she must be like you know i didn't like, look at she, she is such an interesting case because like she did that during the no doubt era and then when she went solo she was like yeah. Harajuku, Kawaii uh, wannabe. Oh. <laughs> she did so many like Chola style looks. The and queen it's... of corporation, but I still love her. <laughs> I know she's a problematic fave. Like yeah. I cannot, I cannot not enjoy all the songs off Love Angel Music Baby, even though the Japanese people in it were basically nameless puppets behind her. But I still love it. Oh, what am I to do? Favorite Mr. trip. Ooh, okay. Um. Oh, oh, um, okay, so, oh, okay, on Love Angel Music Baby, I think my favorite song might be Serious? Yes, okay. Like, I, it's not one, it wasn't a single, but I love it. Oh, I also love Luxurious, which samples Gangster's Paradise. That's my favorite. It's so hot, and there's like, there's like a really deep man's voice speaking French in it, and I was taking French at school at the time, and I remember being able to like, understand what he was saying and feeling very, uh, you know, international and worldly. <laughs> I can't believe that Gwen Stefani is like, the representation that I needed at the time is so fucked up. <laughs> you know, but it, same, same. That's what's so weird is like, she made Japanese-ness cool 
when yeah. when she went solo. And as a Japanese person, I suddenly was like actually interested in learning more about Japan, which is so weird because like you'd think my own family would have done that, but no, we have you know complicated complicated relationship to our identity being in America for a hundred years. Well, I'm so it's so heartbreaking that we needed like the white validation to like ex- love to start to like like and find out and explore uh, part of our own culture. But I mean, that's just the way it rolled, you know. That's how it was. That's how it was then. And I'm I'm glad to see that things are like changing now, and that like hopefully now the coolness of culture is represented by the people of that culture more. Do we think? And like, obviously, we can be the representation in our communities that we desperately need. 100%. million percent. Um, I want to get into the most important part of this podcast, which is we, as queer Asian experts in, in the world, creating queer Asian culture and, and purveying queer Asian culture, we have to we have this very important task burdened upon us to document the most important queer Asian cultural products into what I call the queer Asian Pokedex, a metaphorical and physical figurative piece of equipment that we use to document these things. Now, we have talked about a, a, at least at least one person that I think needs to hop right into the queer Asian Pokedex, and that is Karina Kapoor in Kabi Kushi Kabi Ga. <laughs> One million percent. Like, I'm sorry, but like, no one can touch her. Like, the way she dressed, her eyes, the wind machine, like, no. The wind machine at all times. I need every single one of those outfits still today. Like, oh, they're so in right now. I love, I love the opening scene where we meet her for the first time when she's grown up because the first half of the film, she's like a child and then time passes and now she's like a young woman. And it, this opening scene is her in her bedroom, which literally looks like a 2000s like music video. Everything's like chrome. She has all her colorful clothing and she's singing along to Jerry Hallowell's version of um, It's Raining Men. Man, yeah, it's so good. <laughs> singing to herself in the mirror. It is pure camp. She's so good in it. If If anyone hasn't seen it, like it is a long film, but it's on Netflix. You can watch all of Cuppy Cuppy Cushy Cuppy Got. I've said I've said it wrong. You can just um, you can just like Google Karina Kapoor and Cuppy Cushy Cuppy Gum, and then like get all the clips in one go. I mean, I should just like have a Karina Kapoor like theme at Pussy Palace, really, because she's got that many looks. Like you, oh my god, a full night, a full night of her. Um. And the, the fun, th- one of the fun things about that movie is, uh, half of it takes place in England. A lot yeah. of the scenes take place in very, mem- uh, very noticeable, recognizable spots. There's a whole dance routine they do in the, in the atrium of the British Museum on the staircase and on the floor there. And it's like quite a spectacular place to see a giant Bollywood style number taking place. I forgot that that it was the British Museum. I'm seeing it all yeah. now. Oh, that's what that is. Amazing. Thanks for saying that. I, a- I I recently rewatched it, like only a few weeks ago. So it's all very fresh in my mind. Um, they're in like a big stadium at one point. They're at. I think they filmed some of it at Cambridge. It's not Cambridge. It's like what is it? Famous school that they do it in. Someone told me before. Anyway, it's been about five or six years since I've watched it, but I know it's on Netflix. So I'm actually going to watch it tonight. 
Oh my God, you absolutely should. And it has an intermission because it is that long. Perfect time to take a break. It like, it's built into the viewing experience. Now, I'm so excited to put Karina Kapoor as, as, as a person, specifically as Pooja or Poo from <laughs> Cubby Cushy Cubby Gum. She's in the Pokedex, but I'd love to know, in addition to her, do you have another cultural product which could come in the form of a movie, a book, a TV show, a song, a person, a food, a garment, uh, a word, any anything that you believe should be documented as both queer and Asian and obviously, above all, iconic? Um, yes, I do. Um, it's coriander. <laughs> oh, okay. Tell me about this. It's a contentious, um, it's a contentious taste. Yeah, so basically, um, it's got the same the same chemical makeup as soap. So that's like a lot of people like think it's soap, like when they taste it. And it's actually, uh, uh, uh it's hereditary. So like, mm. got a lot of people who don't like it, it's because it's like hereditary. Um, it's not being like in your system or your your heritage or some stuff like that. I think it's uh-huh. not generally how it goes but i guess like well i didn't know the name for coriander for so long it was just like called dunia in my house like and i didn't know the english name for it for so long and of course on my side of the world where i'm from it's called cilantro cilantro exactly right and for me like and when i first when i moved down to london and i was trying to like connect culturally to my past i did it through food so i did know how to cook a little bit from from my gran like at home but then trying to remember how to do that or reconnect to it. So I had to go and go out and do all the shopping because I never did that like before. I'd go along with the shopping ride, but not pay attention to. Yeah, I feel, yeah. The amount of times that I picked up like parsley instead of coriander. So the darkness, you know, but coriander is a little bit more fabulous because it's got like the more flowery like leaves. I just think is like quite queer. Um, And the fact that love it or hate it like you know and um and also like all across asia like it's used in abundance you know i know there's some like places that don't use it but generally like yeah you go to thailand like vietnam india bangladesh pakistan like you put it on everything put it on everything. and i guess like for me it was a way to like be fancy because again what i'm saying is like with a, a lot of um uh, people of color is that our culture is art like and i think like that sprinkling of coriander like that garnish on top mm. that, like, once upon a time felt so like white to me like to sprinkle something on the meal like when actually like that is something that that we do constantly um and yeah so i thought about long and hard there was a few other ones but i just think that coriander is just quite camp and um <laughs> I love it, I hate it, and it exists across Asia, and it's just, it gives that freshness, that zing. Oh, I agree. I mean, also, coriander is, like, like, like such a beautiful name in itself. I feel like you could name a very beautiful person, like, hello, I'm coriander. What's the middle class people in Hampstead are going to start calling their kids that? It's going to be, like, Isabella and coriander. Like. Oh, my God. You're too right. <laughs> We need to do it before them. We need to like make sure it's a POC name before. So if, if, if anyone, if you know anyone who's like going through and renaming, you know, lots of trans people like to come up with new names when they, when they transition. If anyone's in the market, anyone listening, if you're in the market for a new name, please do consider Coriander. Yes. Or, um, it's your drag name. 
<laughs> oh, it would be a great drag name. Oh my god. Also, like, like Corey, end her. Like, you need to end her. <laughs> I was thinking. I was just thinking that you took the words straight out of my mouth. I love that. Any any Asian drag queen, any baby queen coming up in the world that needs to be birthed or named, you have two drag non-binary parents right here on the pod, ready to raise you, give you a name, and help you into this world. <laughs> I'm obsessed. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Nadine, this has been such an amazing chat and I'm so excited to see the development of Pussy Palace and it. it makes me so, so happy that like the, the, in, we keep using the word infrastructure. It's such a good word is going in place to create like a sustainable nightlife situation that is for such a, a, a necessary part of our community that doesn't have enough space. So I'm so glad you are taking all the professional advice from all the right people to be able to create that. And I cannot wait to get, get dressed up and get hit the darn club again. Oh. Me too. Thank you now, so much. It's been wonderful. It's nice to like talk about it. Like not in this, like um, this is what we've got to do. You know, it's just, um, so it's been a really good conversation. Um, oh. Thank you. And I would love for, like, I know where to find you and Pussy Palace on the web already, but can you tell our listeners how to track you down digitally? Um, so I, uh, took a hiatus in, um, on Instagram. It's Nadine Artois on Instagram, but there's no photos there. And I don't know if I'm coming back, but you know, you, you know can... what? That is the smartest thing I've ever heard. So, um, because it was just like I was commodifying my identity, like you know, for a check, like just and without really thinking about it. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Like, you oh, I got, feel that hard. I feel that hard. So, and I'm not saying that I'm not open to doing stuff like that in the future. It's just like it would be very like intentional when I'd have to think about it instead of just mm-hmm. like saying every like bit of money that came. I just was a person that I just you know, I didn't feel like how, how could I ever say no to money and now yes. like remove Instagram away from things like I just have a lot more space to 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 think and to breathe and maybe I'll come back maybe I won't but for right now it's a, a pussy palace which is a p-x-s-s-y and palace um on Instagram well that's where they'll find you find the party get to the club when things open is there a date do you have a date third of september the tickets have not been announced yet they'll be announced in the next like month or so oh be ready be ready to click because those will go and my in our final moment i welcome you to bid our listeners a farewell in whatever way you choose whether it's in a language that exists if it's in just a sound a word a gesture or or a piece of wisdom you can send us off however you so choose um thank you so much um i think i want to say to everybody is like just take care of yourself and people around you and like don't be like so hard on yourself like just speaking from experience i was too hard on myself for too long and i hope that you can find peace in like whatever you're doing and most importantly acceptance because like you're worthy even if you're not doing anything You uh, are worthy even if you're not doing anything. Grab that quote, slap (laughs) it on the front of my to-do list. Thank you. So welcome. And um, uh, yeah, I think I'll say Allah Hafiz. This is goodbye in Arabic, but Pakistani people say it or Muslim people use it. And that does it for another episode of Bitten Peach Pod. We'll be back next week as usual. And in the meantime, make sure to catch up on all the rest of the episodes that you haven't heard and then share them on to all your ding-dang friends. 
Find us at Bitten Peach Pod on Instagram and leave us a review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. Isabella and Coriander.